Good morning. Will you turn with me, please, to this morning's reading, which comes from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up self-childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. What is love? <laughs> no, I'm not, not thinking about, not thinking about uh, the song. But what is love? You know, Plato said that love is a desire for the perpetual possession of the good. Love is desire for the perpetual possession of the good. The Beatles and John Lennon said, love is all you need. Love is a battlefield, Pat Benatar said. Princess Anna said, love is an open door. And um, love is love is love is love is love is love is love, said Lin-Manuel Miranda and other people a couple of years ago. Actually, Beyonce said, love is an endless act of forgiveness. I'm not endorsing any of those statements, but I find them interesting. My favorite TV show of all time uh, only lasted one season. It was Freaks and Geeks. NBC and I don't see eye to eye, apparently. But there's a scene that I want to share with you in that show that really, for me, sums up how love is such an ambiguous English word. We don't quite know how to define it, and it can mean so many different things when we talk about love. Uh, the, the mother and the father uh, within the show, because it's really about a family and, and some friends, but the mother and the father, the husband and the wife, are having an argument in the home, actually about their roles in the home. And, and in the heat of the debate, the husband says to his wife, I like pot roast, and that's how I feel about you. 
And the wife says, you like me like you like a pot roast? And the husband says, I love pot roast. And naturally, the wife is livid, upset to be compared to a pot roast when her husband is trying to express his love for her. And he couldn't find the words. I think what he meant was, I enjoy pot roast. I'm committed to you. How do you find the words to talk about love? The ancient Greeks used two well-known words for love. There was eros, a passionate, a physical, sexual love. There was phileo, which was love between friends and family members. But the Apostle Paul and the New Testament writers, they adopted a more obscure word, agape, to talk about a love, a higher love that had changed the world, a love that had changed them. And interestingly, and that's the word that Paul uses in this passage, Jesus used the word, the apostles, especially John, used the word prolifically. Interestingly, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul doesn't define love. He describes it. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He lists love's attributes as if love were a person. Love personified by Paul. This passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's words on love is at the heart of Paul's lengthy diatribe to the Corinthian Christians. It was intentionally placed there. We think of it almost as an out-of-place interlude in a very tough, difficult letter. It is the very heart of Paul's letter. He put it there on purpose to show them that love was the solution to all of their problems. And I'm telling you, it is the solution to all of ours. When every good gift passes away, love will remain. When every good thing that God gives us to sustain us through this life passes away or transforms into something else, love will remain. And today I want to talk to you about the love of God, the love that God demonstrates, the love that God commands, and the love that God is. The love he demonstrates, the love he commands, and the love he is. Now when Paul wrote this, he wisely refrained from being abstract. He demonstrates in concrete form that love is action. Despite our sentimentality, right? Because we, we quote this passage in most of our wedding ceremonies and, and we embroider it into murals that we hang on our bathroom walls and we, we post it to our Pinterest account in little floral patterns. And I don't think Paul would have um, 
would have objected to any of that, but his point wasn't to give us something to read at wedding ceremonies. Paul's point in this passage is to show the Corinthians that their preoccupation with spiritual gifts, especially the gift of tongues, if you've been following with us through the letter all along, they were divisive, they were arrogant, they compared themselves to one another, especially in the worship service, especially regarding who had what gift. And in that context, Paul wants to show them in his own words a more excellent way. If you go back to the end of chapter 12, you will see that Paul had written, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And if you go to the next chapter, chapter 14, he begins by saying, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He doesn't doesn't list love as a spiritual gift, as a gift that God gives to his sons and daughters so that they can glorify him by blessing and serving one another. He doesn't describe love as a gift, but he describes it as a way. He calls it a way, as in a way to walk a way in which to go, or as John Calvin centuries later would make the comment, Paul is trying to show them that everything should be regulated according to the rule of love. So he says in verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm a noisy gong. The word for gong was literally brass. Ancient Corinth was known for its industry in brass works. They were famous for pounding brass into household items, into pots and vessels and vases and platters, even musical symbols for pagan worship. They were known for their abilities with brass and copper. And one scholar, Kenneth Bailey, puts it this way. He said, enduring the high-pitched racket of banging brass would have been a common experience for all Corinthians every time they entered the marketplace. If you were an ancient Corinthian, you'd walk into the public marketplace and you'd just constant cacophony of tradesmen banging brass into whatever they were trying to sell. So as Paul is saying this to the Corinthians, they would have gotten the point. Your words, your works, your abilities divorced of love sound abrasive, sound crass, sound alarming to the people you're trying to communicate with, to the people that you're involved with. He even goes on to say in verses two and three, without love guiding my spiritual gifts, without love guiding my ministry, without love guiding my religion and guiding my service and behavior and relationships with others, I am nothing. And he even says, I gain nothing. And then he demonstrates that cacophony of clanging brass by listing what love is not. And he says, love is not, well, love does not envy or boast. 
Love, does, love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He's describing their behavior. If you read the entire letter and the issues he's bringing up that they had previously raised with him in an act of defiance, uh, he's basically describing all of their behavior all that they prioritize. He's summing up their actions and their living by telling them what love is not. But then he demonstrates what love is. In the same words, he says, love is patient and kind. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He even goes on to say that love never ends or never falls or never fails. He actually says that love is greater than faith. Can you imagine that? And he says love is greater than hope. He's not a universalist. Paul's not saying that uh, there really is no truth. Love is truth. He's, He's not saying that at all because he specifically says that love rejoices in the truth. To ignore truth and objectivity in the, in the name of love, according to Paul, is not love at all. I need to clarify what Paul didn't mean there. But Paul, in a sense, instead of describing their behavior, when he talks about what love is, he's describing himself. If you read the book of Acts and all that Paul went through as a missionary when he set up church after church, including the church in Corinth, when he spent 18 months with them, and then the way they abused and treated him by letters and and by gossip after he left them, and, and when you look at how Paul describes his own patient ministry and relationship as a spiritual father with them throughout this letter, you see here that Paul is describing his ministry to them when he talks about what love actually is. Perhaps a contemporary comment uh, of our own day that in a way partially echoes what Paul is trying to say about what love is, bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all, made me think of a parent. You have to endure and put up with everything. And in a sense, he's saying love puts up with everything. Maya Angelou said this, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. Paul's personification of love was the antithesis, the very opposite of the Corinthians' pride and selfishness and neglect of one another. If they were paying attention when they read, when they heard this letter from Paul, they would have recognized Paul had demonstrated such love with them. And if they were paying attention, they would have recognized God had demonstrated such love in all of his dealings with them as with ancient Israel. So I want to ask you, what is your response What is your response to Paul's personification of love? How does it come off the page and intersect with your life? Paul's personification of love. The love that Paul is demonstrating here is the very love that God commands you to pursue. 
As you read throughout redemptive history in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you discover a progression of commands from love your neighbor as yourself to love your enemy to love one another as I have loved you. Paul kind of sums it all up in his letter to his apprentice, Timothy, when he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the aim of our charge or, or the aim of the command, the instruction that Paul was giving to Timothy as his apprentice, the aim of our charge is love. Paul was encouraging him to discipline people who had been teaching false doctrines. And he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see here, love should motivate all that a Christian does, even discipline and justice, which we call tough love. Love is the greatest guide for navigating the issues in ancient Corinth, Paul is saying. And I would suggest to you the issues today in Maryland and in our society. Love is the greatest guide for managing our conflicts with each other, our relationships, our diversity, our sexuality, our temptations, our pursuit of wisdom and knowledge, everything Paul has been talking about. Paul's personification of love calls us to examine ourselves individually. I have to ask myself when I consider what love is, is it true that Brian is patient and kind? Is it true that Brian does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude? Is it true that Brian does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful, Brian does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Does Brian bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? Since you're rolling your eyes because you know that that's not true all the time, I want you to now put your own name there and ask yourself the same question. The personification of love calls us not only to examine ourselves individually, but to examine ourselves communally. And what did Jesus say to his apostles before he left? He said, make disciples of all nations. When you boil down everything that the global church, the universal church, a particular little church is all about, it comes down to making disciples of all nations until Jesus returns. And so that brings me to verse 11. In the context of saying that love would even outlast faith and hope. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know, all that God has given to sustain us, our spiritual gifts, even our faith, which is a gift from God, even our hope, which believes surely that all of God's promises will be fulfilled when Jesus returns to restore all things, to restore us one day. All that God has given us now to get us there, Paul is saying is temporary, is conditional. Not because it is false, not because it will all ever be made untrue, but because it will become obsolete when our faith becomes sight, as he said in the second letter to the Corinthians. Obsolete. 
But love, Paul says, love will remain when we become fully mature. So love, Paul says, is a way. And and what did he say about being a child? I had childish ways. Ways, okay? So what's going on here is he's saying that love is the way of maturity. I would go further to say that love is the mark of maturity. And for those of you who are leaders in Christianity, I would impress upon you the idea that love is the goal of discipleship. Of course, love is the motivation to pour yourself into another person. But goal, but love must be the goal of the completion of that process. The most essential growth indicator. Think about this, parents, teachers. The most essential growth indicator for the people we are spiritually investing in is their capacity to recognize the love of God for them and their desire to share that love with others, to love one another as Christ had loved them. I think at the end of the day, the goal of all that we do is that people will comprehend, that we will comprehend the love of God and to love one another. So I want you to allow love, I want you to consider this, Allow love to guide your pursuits and your relationships. And let love be a litmus test for how you're doing. How are you doing? How am I doing? Let love be that litmus test. Don't call it love when what guides you is pride. Don't call it love when what guides you is fear or envy. Don't call love lust. In the name of love, we do the very things that the Bible insists love is not. And at the heart of this passage, talking about what love is and what love is not, verse 5, Paul says, love does not insist on its own way. That's a great litmus test. Do we insist on our own way in the name of love. Paul's saying, it's not love. Is your pursuit of knowledge and wisdom good things? Is it ultimately about you? Then it's not love. Is your sexuality about you? Then it's not love. Is the way you resolve conflict and deal with your conflicts about you? then it is not love. And if the answer to these things are yes, all of these things are about me, warning to sleeping children and sleeping adults. If, if all of it is about you, it's like nobody can understand anything that you're doing is about you and the way you sleep. And the way you're talking and what you're doing is meaningless. It is pointless. It sounds like gobbledygook because it is not motivated by love. And Paul says, you have gained nothing and you have become nothing.
C.S. Lewis said, love. Love in the Christian sense is a state not of the feelings, but of the will. That state of the will, which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. He worded that a bit oddly. Let me kind of try and rephrase it. Love is a non-negotiable commitment to the good of others. And the person that you cannot at all negotiate with is yourself. Because yourself will insist on its own way, left to its own devices. The Bible makes the profound claim that God is love. Have you, have you heard that before? That God is love, according to the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 4. It's not that the Apostle was not saying that God equals love, because then the opposite would be true, that love equals God. And the Bible and Christianity uh, does not talk about that at all. Uh, rather, God is love means love characterizes God's nature. God is all loving as, as far as we can comprehend him in that all of his dealings from creation to redemption and restoration, even his justice and discipline, all guided by love, all motivated by love, proceeding from the love that he has within his triune self, father and son and spirit who love one another and give themselves up for one another, sharing in creation and in redemption his love with us. The reason love never ends, as Paul says, is because God never ends. God never fails. Does not Paul's description of love personify the Son of God? Jesus would not negotiate with himself. When he, when he was there praying in the garden before he was executed, he, he prayed out in anguish, sweating blood to his heavenly father, I don't want this cup. I don't want the cup of this wrath. Father, is there any other way to do this? Take this cup from me. Neither, but then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, Father. Your will be done. You see that? Jesus wouldn't even negotiate with himself. He negotiated with his heavenly father and he let his heavenly father have his way. Jesus was motivated by the love he had for his heavenly father and by the love he had for you. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful and does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And he said to his disciples the night he was betrayed, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's what was new about it. God had been saying all along, love, love your neighbor. But Jesus says, 
Now here's the catch. Here's what's new. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because God is love, as we learn to love as he does, we become like him. If you're a Christian, your witness in loving one another is is that you are displaying the very nature of God to the world. When every good gift passes away, love will remain. So allow the love of Jesus Christ who died in your place as a sinner, as a criminal, allow Christ's love to guide your pursuits and to guide your relationships. To become Christ-like is to appreciate how he loved us and then to love one another and even our enemies in the same way sacrificially, not insisting on our own way. The Corinthians had overlooked this gem of authentic Christianity. Don't you overlook it. Don't sell out for genuine imitation love in its many forms. Sell out for a love that dies for its friends, a love that forgives its enemies. Let's pray. Our Father, we remember Christ's words, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do as I command. Father, we see now that obedience, obedience is a response not to fear but to love itself. Father, we seek the love of Christ, which surpasses even knowledge. We don't reject knowledge. We don't reject wisdom. We don't reject the the skills, the gifts, the experiences that by your wisdom you have presented to us in our lives. We do not reject one another. We do not reject our neighbors. We do not even reject our enemies. But Father, may we prioritize love as you define it, as you have demonstrated it in the person of your son. And may we live likewise. Father, may we or anyone in this room who does not yet know you this way, may we embrace the love of God that changed the world. May it change us. In Jesus' name, amen.